Hey, welcome to Tour Portions. I'm Sean, and you're watching this on Kingdom of Context. Thanks for joining me this morning. We're going to be reviewing uh, this week's portion is from Exodus chapter 10 through the, the like first 16 verses of chapter 13. We're going to be continuing to look at uh, the remaining plagues that are happening against Egypt and um, against their gods also. We'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit today as well. And I just thank you for being here. Hopefully this will be educational, this will be fun, and this will be you know insightful for you. Um, I want to thank everyone that's here in the live chat. Looks like we have quite a few people already here. Christy Co, Kylie J, Winfeather, Jasmine, W, Pepper Moon, David Shear, Sean M, Arc Builder CCMC, Yaya Q, Gerald uh, Nayoyan, Cover to Cover Jeremy Pierce, Jim Newport, Kerry Arez, Hannibal, Oben, Oben Denaya Silva. I hope I said that right. Oben Denaya Silva. Um, hallelujah, Blossom. Welcome, everybody. I appreciate you being here. Um, as always, guys, with the tour portions, what well, we kind of do a little bit different format where I try to make it as interactive as possible. So I want to give you the opportunity to actually call um, from your smartphone or from your you know, laptop or your tablet. And once you give the opportunity to actually call in after we finish each chapter of the main portion. So like I said, we're going to start with Exodus chapter 10. We could do 11, 12 and the first part of 13. So after I finish chapter 10, um, I'm going to have some companion verses, but that is the moment where if you want to call in and you want to talk about what we just read or you talk about the companion verses I read or ask a question live, you can do that. I want to give you the opportunity. So um, I'm going to put this uh, call in link in the live chat right now. And I'm also going to put it in. Also put it in, um, in the video description. The way, if you're not actually participating in the chat, but you're just watching this live, I'll put that in there right now for you. Give me just one second. Many of you are wondering, well, why don't you already have it in the video description when you start the video? And I can't. It's not something that I can do until I start the video. So here it is. I'm dropping the link in there now. It's both in the live chat and also the video description. So you're welcome to use that if you want. After we finish each part of the main portion, if you call in before then, you're just going to be on hold in the studio and I won't be able to get to you. All right, guys, I really appreciate you. Um, <clears throat> and as always, if you're enjoying this, be sure to hit the heart button or the thumbs up. Uh, make sure you share it to your other social medias. And uh, that way you spread the word and get the, you know, if there's something's blessing you and you think it'll bless someone else, that's how you do it. Cause YouTube's not recommending this kind of stuff to people. So <laughs> you have to, you have to share it so other people can be aware of it. So let's jump right into it. We got some fun verses to review today. So like I said, we'll start with Exodus chapter 10, and then we're going to move through um, the full chapter. So here in chapter 10, verse 1 through 5, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the presence of your sons and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, so that they may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go, so that they may serve me. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they will go and they will cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has survived, what is left to you from the hill, and they will eat every tree of yours which grows in the field. 
Then your houses will be filled with them, together with the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and left Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who specifically are you going? Who who specifically are the ones who are going? And Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, So the Lord be with you, so that, so may the Lord be with you. When I let you and your little ones go, watch out, for evil is on your mind. Not so. Go now, but only the men among you, and serve the Lord, since that is what you desire. Real quick, guys, um, just in case you're, that sounds a little confusing. Um, he's basically changing his mind midstream. Okay, so mid-conversation, he, you know, he already said no to begin with. His advisors came in and they were like, hey, man, just like just let these people go like our, our country is destroyed at this point and so Pharaoh brings them back in he's like all right you can go but wait who's who's going with you so this is consistent with what we saw last week we remember last week they came and Moses and Aaron came in and, and Pharaoh was like yeah just sacrifice in the land well you don't need to go anywhere just sacrifice in the land and Moses and Aaron are like it's illegal to sacrifice what we sacrifice in Egypt and we'll be stoned by the Egyptians and he's like, well, just go, but don't take your animals. <laughs> so like, there's all these conditions he keeps putting up there that Moses and Aaron are just like, look, bro, we're, we need our people and our animals and ourselves. And we need to go. We need to go do this. This is what we've asked to do. And um, and Pharaoh is, is being a totalitarian dictator, right? He doesn't want to let them leave the country. In fact, the start of this story, Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, he has turned the Egyptian people against the Hebrews, both this pharaoh and the predecessor, the previous pharaoh, uh, they've kept the same consistent internal policy, if you will, right? It's horrible politics where he's turned. It's a divide and conquer, but it's it's about to. He's the one about to be conquered, right? So it's he's tried to turn the Egyptian people against the Hebrews and get them to hate them and disdain them, and that has been happening over a generation of time. And at this point, now they've actually have laws that restrict the Hebrews from actually doing their own uh, worship. Okay, so again, this is a you know Torah apologetics. So this is another wonderful example of how they had the Torah before Mount Sinai. The moment at Mount Sinai is a reaffirmation, a renewal of the covenant with this new generation, uh, this great multitude that had now flourished in Goshen, um, that were still a part of the covenant. That's why they're being saved, and they just have been refrained from participating in covenant actions to its fullness because they were under the thumb of a dictator in Egypt. So. Many of them are starting to be brainwashed into Egypt, and this is where the father's pulling them out. He's going to re rewash their brain with the water of the word, right? So this is a moment where Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. This is multiple, like the third or fourth time now, multiple moments here where this back and forth where he's like, all right, please, thank you for stopping the plague. And you, you guys can go, but then he changes his mind, doesn't let him go. And then this moment in the in mid-conversation, he stops and he says, yeah, you can go, but wait, who's going with you? Oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. So this is why it, the wording is kind of weird between verse 10 and 11, but that's why it says, not so. Go now, but only the men among you. He's, say, he's saying, don't take your old ones and your young ones. Don't take your women and don't take your herd. Just the men, just you guys go. So he set up another condition that isn't what, you know, that isn't what all, the Almighty needs. And it's not what 
um, the Hebrews need. So that's why it's it's worded a little weird. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out with your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, everything that the hell is left. So Moses reached out with the staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There has never been so many locusts, nor would there ever be so many again. But they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. They ate every plant of the land, all the fruit of the trees that the hill had left. Therefore, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So now please forgive my sin only this once and plead with the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. Then he left Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. That's Moses left Pharaoh, pleaded with the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind which picks up the locusts and drive them into the and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. And then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out with your hand toward the sky, so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses reached out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Egypt had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be left behind. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, so that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. But we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God until we arrive there. For we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not—he was not willing to let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Be careful. Do not see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, You have spoken correctly. I shall never see your face again. Dun, dun, dun. This is the showdown. Showdown of the BC millennium. Guys, now's the moment. If you want to call in, if you have a question about what we just read, if you have a commentary that you wanted to share, make sure you have your shirt on. Um, you know, make sure that uh, you, you just just you're gonna have to let StreamYard give permission to use your camera and your microphone so that it can go through. And then, of course, turn down. You want to turn down your computer volume uh, where you're watching me so that you don't have double feedback. Okay, so <clears throat> but now's the moment. If you want to call in. You're welcome to do that. If you have any questions or comments about what we just read and about what I'm about to read, because we're going to go over to um, read the Wisdom of Solomon. This is a book that uh, used to be considered a part of canons, but it was taken out, you know, the last 130, 120 years of American Bibles. But it um, it was a book that used to be in the in the KJV a long time ago and, and other Bibles. <clears throat> and so this is an interesting, interesting passage because it's about to kind of review a little bit. Um, of what we read. Okay. All right. So let me uh, jump into this real quick. So in chapter 17 of Wisdom of Solomon, one through five, it says, Greater your judgments, hard to describe, therefore, unrestricted souls have gone astray. For when lawless men supposed that they have held the holy nation in their power, they themselves lay as captives of darkness and prisoners of long night, shut in under their roofs exiles from eternal providence so guys this is talking about the the darkness that could be felt in some of the uh, plagues that egypt was undergoing this is extra commentary on that from the wisdom of solomon 
And it's really, really fascinating about how he describes the mentality of the Egyptians while they were in the darkness. It's uh, it's kind of frightening, to be honest with you. He says, for thinking that in their secret sins, they were unobserved behind the dark curtain of forgetfulness. They were scattered, terribly alarmed and appalled by specters. You guys know what specters are? Those are demons. This is also what um, I think it's the Apocalypse of Baruch, uh, chapter 27. It talks about how they're one of the one of the final plagues upon the world at the end of days is an attack of specters. And this is my personal opinion that this is what we're seeing in Revelation chapter nine. These chimeric like things that come up out of the pit with the polyon um, and go to torment men. Um, so this is this is what uh, the Egyptians were facing. So this is a, a unique parallel with the, the end of days, with the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Christ. This is a unique parallel, in my opinion, as far as they were being this this darkness that could be felt as as the Masoretic works that Wisma Solomon says they were literally being attacked by specters. So it goes on to explain verse four for not even the inner chamber that held them protected them from fear, but terrifying sounds rang out around them and dismal phantoms with gloomy faces appeared. And no power of fire was able to give light, nor did the brilliant flames of the stars avail to illumine the hateful night. Nothing was shining through them, through to them except a dreadful self-kindling fire. And in terror, they deemed the things which they saw to be worse than the, the unseen appearance. The delusions of their magic art lay humbled, and their boasted wisdom was scornfully rebuked. So you guys remember in the last few chapters, we've had the, the Egyptian... Uh, magicians that were working for Pharaoh and they were trying to duplicate some of the things Moses and Aaron were doing to show like, you know, Oh, Egypt's got the same power as this. You guys aren't impressed anybody. Yeah. But in this moment, it says even the magic arts laid humbled, right? So the magicians had no power over these specters and over these apparitions that they were seeing and they were being delusioned by. Um, it says verse eight, for those who promised to drive off the fears and the disorders of a sick soul were sick themselves with ridiculous fears. This reminds me actually of, um, you know, in the, in the comics, in the comic books with Batman, right? He's one of his his uh, villains that he has to fight every now and then is this guy named the Scarecrow. And he has this like gasish powder uh, that he would put in people's face and it would cause them to hallucinate with fear. So this is <laughs> this kind of reminds me of that of, of what these guys are seeing in, in this uh, darkness. For even if nothing disturbing frightened them, yet scared by the passing of beasts and the hissing of serpents, they perished in trembling fear, refusing to look even at the air, though it nowhere could be avoided. For wickedness is a cowardly thing, condemned by its own testimony, distressed by conscience. It has always exaggerated the difficulties. I, amen to that, man. Good, good grief. Um, it's called drama. This is basically saying the, the wicked are full of drama. For fear is nothing but surrender of the help that comes from reason. And in the inner expectation of help, being weak refers ignorance of what causes the torment. But throughout the night, okay, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to stop real quick. In verse 13, uh, Blue Dove's a sick soul is somebody that's tormented with wickedness um, or is a, is a habit of wickedness, a practice of wickedness. That's what a sick soul is. Uh Leah, we, we don't do sacred name stuff here on Kingdom in Context. We we believe that the languages translate. They were given at Tower of Babel by the Father himself. He knows that we all speak different languages and that they do translate. We, we don't do sacred name theology here. Jane Frist is asking, 
from her eight-year-old son, Aiden, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? This is a great question. It actually goes back to the previous chapters. Uh, I think it's in chapter, um, I can't remember the exact chapter, but it's uh, in the previous seven chapters of the book of Exodus, where it basically talks about this is the way in which Pharaoh's heart wanted to go. It was already evil. All right. It wasn't like Pharaoh was a good guy to start with. This was this was already within his mindset. This is why we, for the last several several episodes, we've been even all the way to the end of uh, Genesis, as I paired the Jubilees portions about the new Assyrian king that took over. He was actually from Canaan, a Canaanite king that was ruling Babylon. They taken over Egypt, and they had started this division amongst the Egyptians and the Hebrews. And this was a long-standing plan to diminish the Hebrews because the Hebrews were growing. Uh, in Goshen and they were flourishing and they were serving the Lord and they were doing well and they were becoming more powerful than the Assyrians and the Egyptians and they were they were becoming a great a nation. So the rulers that be, the, the actually the Babylonian ruler that had now taken over Egypt, they're trying to diminish the Egyptians. This is a long-standing heart problem that the pharaohs had where they had viewed the Hebrews as an enemy already. So this is this was not this terminology of having your heart hardened by the father is something that happens when you re resist the father's behavior. You resist walking in love and you start walking towards evil. And that's what they were doing for a long time against the Hebrews. They were looking at them with evil disposition and uh, literally formulating plans to um, to enslave them. Right? They were they wanted to oppress them and diminish their power. So. Okay, guys. So basically, here in uh, Wisdom of Solomon, if you look closely, uh, it's very interesting that verse thirteen says the inner expectation. Let's start, start in verse twelve, real quick. For fear is nothing but surrender of the helps that come from reason. So basically, it's saying fear is you rejecting the solutions that come if you would just think reasonably. And it goes on to say, and the inner expectation of help. So it's also you're abandoning your inner disposition to look for a solution of help or to call upon the Lord. And then therefore you are becoming weak because of your fear. And then you prefer ignorance of what causes the torments, meaning you don't want to inspect or look at what's causing the pain because you're in fear. It's, it's clouding your mind to think reasonably and to find the solution to stop the problem that's causing the torment, that's causing the emotional pain. Um, and this is, this is such a wonderfully stated, very, very beautifully succinct and philosophical explanation of what fear does to the mind to get you to abandon reason and to stay in this cycle of torment, whether emotional, physical in your mind, because it, it you you don't even look for the solution properly and you forget that that there is a solution. So it's it's such an interesting, um, interesting uh, statement and, and description. Verse 14, but throughout the night which was really powerless and which beset them from the recesses of powerless Hades. They all slept the same sleep and now were driven by monstrous specters. And now were paralyzed by their soul's surrender for sudden and unexpected fear overwhelmed them. And whoever was there fell down and thus was kept shut up in a prison, not made of iron. For whether he was a farmer or a shepherd or a workman who toiled in the wilderness, he was seized and endured the inescapable fate. For with one chain of darkness, they were all bound. Whether there came a whistling wind or a melodious sound of birds and widespreading branches or the rhythm of violently rushing water 
where the harsh crash of rocks hurled down on the unseen running or the unseen running of leaping animals or the sound of the most savage roaring beasts or an echo thrown back from a hollow of the mountains, it paralyzed them with terror. For the whole world was illumined with brilliant light and was engaged in unhindered work, while over those men alone, heavy night was spread, an image of the darkness that was destined to receive them, but still heavier than the darkness were they to themselves. So this is such an interesting description, guys. saying in verse 20 was well, basically saying in verse uh, 17 through 19 that like even the sounds of things happening around them whether it's an animal or bird chirping or water rushing all of it was bringing them to terror it's paranoia terror because they're in darkness you guys ever been in a dark room and couldn't find the light switch and random noises started to freak you out well they were going through this for an extended period of time and it was causing their mind to give into an irrational fear, which is why it says in verse 16, there and whoever was there fell down. So they would immediately fall to the ground and they were shut up in a prison not made of iron. It was just all in their mind and their fear and their terror. Verse 20 says the whole world was, was lit up and people were doing life like normal. But over these men over in this, this territory of Egypt, um, not in Goshen, but only in the area of Egypt where the Egyptians were, this is, is there was this heavy night that spread. What's interesting, it says it was an image of the darkness that was destined to receive them. Gosh, man, that is that is something. Um, but still heavier than the darkness were they to themselves. So basically saying like they were even, even they were they were making the darkness worse than it was because of the fear running through themselves in their minds. So the, the delusions of terror and being attacked by uh, demonic demonic forces if you will so it's a pretty pretty wild uh, description of what the egyptians were suffering through under this plague and why why it would be called an actual plague and it's not just like oh it's darkness we're fine you know, oh it's just like a long night time you know like we're okay just light a candle no they couldn't light candles they couldn't light a fire uh, they were paralyzed they were immovable with fear and terror just freaking out in their own brains so this was a, a this was a serious plague serious plague <clears throat> yeah gabby and grafted it that's what it seems to be describing is that it they were they were full of fear to the point of hallucination but the specters the concept of unclean spirits that's what a specter is that's a rare real thing in scripture these are demonic forces and they you know, this this is something that people testify that happens in severe situations, even still to this day, where they're having they're under demonic attack and they're paralyzed with fear and they can't move. Um, some people call it sleep paralysis. Some people just have it when they're not asleep. They have it in the, in the you know in the daytime or or at night when they're not asleep, just moving around their house. And these are of course, you know, you'd want to cleanse the house and get pray and pray up and, and repent and turn to turn to the Father and the Son, right? And um, let the Spirit of God move in your life to kick these things out of your life, but uh, that's a little bit more than just hallucination. There was hallucination, I would say, or, or the mindset of paranoia and fear causing them to, to freak out about every little thing. But there was also a spiritual battle happening with unclean spirits. So. Interesting, uh, amazing world. You're talking about possible correlations with Bird Box. I actually never saw that movie. And so, but yeah, it's interesting. 
All right, guys, uh, no one called in, so we'll jump into Exodus chapter 11. So let's go here. It says, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will assuredly drive you out from here completely. Speak now so that the people hear that each man is to ask of his neighbor and each woman of her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of the Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I'm going to come. I'm going out in the midst of the Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. So there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and such as never shall be again. But not even a dog will threaten any of the sons of Israel, nor anything from person to animal, so that you may learn how the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants of yours will come down to me and bow, down, bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he left Pharaoh in the heat of anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. It's a very short chapter. If you'd like to call in and talk about that, you're welcome to. We're actually going to get to the the Passover uh, moment where the firstborn of, of the Egyptians pass over, die later. But I'm real quick, I'm going to have a companion passage from Psalm 105. And if you have any thoughts or questions about what we've previously read in the previous chapters or the previous companion passages, use the call-in link in the video description below. Or you can, um, we also have the call-in link in the, in the video chat. So I appreciate, uh, if you guys want to call in, you're welcome to do that. Let's get into Psalm 105. This here in verse 23 through 28, it says, Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful, more numerous than their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness, and it became dark, and yet they defied his words. He turned their waters to blood and caused their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, even in their royal chambers. He spoke in insect swarms, gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain with lightning throughout their land. He struck their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number. They devoured every plant in their land and consumed the produce of their soil. Then he struck all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their vigor. He brought Israel out with silver and gold, and none, of them, and none among his tribes stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of Israel had fallen on them. Okay, so that's... It's just a quick summary uh, from the psalmist in Psalm 105, uh, describing everything we've read in the past few Torah portions, right? Um, how the Egyptians came into Goshen, they started being oppressed, excuse me, the Hebrews came into Goshen, they started being oppressed over time after Joseph died, and a new king rose up over Pharaoh, uh, as the Pharaoh over Egypt. Um, like I said before, it was actually Babylon that eventually took over Egypt, and this was where you start getting the oppression against the, the Hebrews in the land of Goshen. And this is exactly what this is summarizing here in Psalm 105, and then it summarizes the plagues we've already read. So just if if you want a short little, you know, the psalmist is reviewing for you in a short little reminder 
of what we took several chapters to read. So if you guys want to check that out. All right. No one's called in. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into um, let's go ahead and jump into Exodus chapter 12. We're going to be reading about the Passover. So it says, now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first of the month, excuse me, the first of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to the father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbors nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them in proportion to what each one should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male of a year old, or you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You should keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall completely burn with fire. Now you shall say, you shall eat it in this way, with your garment belted around your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the human firstborn to the animals. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will come upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day shall be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove dough with yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them, except for what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared for you, by you. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your multitudes out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days there shall be no dough with yeast found in your houses. But whoever eats anything with that with yeast, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything with yeast. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that's in the basin to the lintel and to the doorposts. None of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you should keep this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land with the Lord give, will give you, as he has promised, you should keep this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? Then you shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord because he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. And then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did it. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. 
And Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in a hurry, for they said, We will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls, bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they gave them, to, so that they let them have their request. Therefore they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. And they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had no yeast, since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel had lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on this very day, all the multitudes of the Lord departed from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord. For having brought them out of the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat it, but as for every slave that someone has purchased with money, after you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A stranger or a hired worker he shall not eat. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring any of the meat outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger resides with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, all of his males are to be circumcised, and then he shall come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who resides among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their multitudes. All right, guys. So this is, um, that was Exodus chapter 12. There's a ton of information in there. Um, it's huge. We talk about, you know, this covenant of circumcision being required to eat and celebrate the Passover meal. Uh, it's a perpetual ordinance throughout your generations, guys. That means um, all of the people that, that are grafted into Israel during the millennial reign, they're going to be keeping Passover, right? It's a perpetual ordinance. Um, this is why Yeshua mentions it in Luke 24. And, um, uh, like he's he's excited to eat this Passover again in the kingdom when the kingdom comes. So there's just a ton of, of good information there. It looks like we got someone calling in, and I'm gonna pull um, pull them up here on screen. Looks like Michael is calling in. Michael Tabrata, welcome, brother. Hey, thank you, Sean. How are you doing? Good. What's up, man? How are you? Nice to watch along to you. Hey, thank you very much. Same to you. So, you know, just uh, hearing about this, it makes me think of uh, America basically and kind of how you know we see some things going on and kind of feel like you know maybe God's about to pour out some judgment upon the nation and uh, so I guess my question is sort of related to you know to what degree are we to prepare for that and you know physical things and you know sometimes I feel like I work so hard and I can waste my time versus you know just preparing my heart and cleansing my life and walking more in righteousness and just kind of realizing that at the end of the day, right? He's our protector. 
he's the one who's going to, you know, see us through it if we do get through it. And, uh, you know, just sort of that balance between the focus on just kind of wanting to physically prepare for my family, for things going on and just, you know, realizing this is not my home and uh, yeah, keeping it in perspective. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. It's just like uh, we, like Abraham talked about Hebrews 11 or like it's spoken about Abraham in Hebrews 11, 10 through 14, that he looked for a city and a, um, a country that was, that was built by God. Right. He looked for, he, he knew that this, he was a sojourner on the earth. And we also see um, Isaac, uh, Isaac in the book of Jubilees. I can't think, I can't remember what chapter right now. He calls himself a sojourner. And then Jacob, when Jacob goes to meet Pharaoh, I think it's like Genesis 46 or 47. He calls himself a sojourner on the earth as well. And this is the same mentality. They know that this is not their home. They know this isn't the final destination. They know they're here temporarily. And that this is, this is where we, do our best as we live amongst the people that are not doing the right behavior, the people that are incurring judgment on the land. And we have to live among them many times. We do our best to safeguard our hearts, safeguard our families. And, um, and then we just leave it in, under God's control as far as how we're protected through whatever judgments he's pouring out on the people that are incurring judgment. So as we are reading this, um, it reminded me of, um, you know, the destroyer that was coming through that was taking the firstborn. Obviously, the children of Israel weren't affected by this because they're saved by the father. So to the point where now the Egyptians are so afraid of the Hebrews because they they want them to leave. They're like, look, we're all going to die if these guys, if these people are still stay here. Just let them go. Get mm-hmm. them out of here. So that is kind of a stark realization for them that, I mean, if as if the frogs and the hill and the gnats and all the other stuff it wasn't enough, right? Um, suddenly the fact that they have to bury a family member. Um, everyone is bearing a family member. Everyone is mourning because there's a dead person in everyone's house. Suddenly it's a very stark realization that this is the God of the God of the Hebrews. He ain't playing, but at the same time, right. he's, <laughs> he's protecting the Hebrews. So can you imagine the tearful eyed, red eyed, angry Egyptians walking up to the borderline of Goshen and, you know, shouting to the, to the Hebrews, get out of here. You're going to kill us all. Get out of here. You know what I mean? So, yeah. because it, that's why I read the Psalm 105 passage. I think it was verse 39, 38 or 39, where it says that the fear of the Hebrews, the dread of the Hebrews had fallen on the Egyptians. So we're going to see that, you know, that's, uh, hang on a second. We got someone else. Uh, hey Hannibal, what's up? I'll finish asking this question. I'll get to yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. All right. No problem. So basically, this is where in, in modern times, you know, we everyone has a different circumstance. There's people watching me right now from multiple different countries. But you and I, we're in the United States and we as as much as the news wants to paint a picture of doom and gloom, there are still the majority of people in the United States are good hearted and want to do what's right. Whether they specifically use the language of Torah or not is a different conversation. But they're not intentionally worshiping false gods. They're not sacrificing to demons as the Egyptians were. You have to remember the Egyptians were full on involved in occult activity as a nation, all the people. Mm -hmm. So we we have a lot of good hearted people. A lot of them may not be very mature Christians. They may be very superficial. And as far as their their level of faith, but they're not sacrificing the demons. They're they're not. You know, they're they're trying to do what's right. They're trying to adopt the behavior of Jesus as as with what little context they understand that to mean. Um, 
so unfortunately we have some really corrupt leaders in our country at this point and they're you know like the proverb says right the unrighteous rule and the um when when the wicked rule the unrighteous cry out in the streets you're gonna have i said that backwards when the wicked rule the righteous cry out in the streets so you're you're unfortunately we're gonna see some of that in our modern day um because we're you know in my opinion we're going through a long-standing orchestration of socialist communism that's trying to infect our country yeah. and this has been in the works for many, many decades as a, as a subvert attack against our way of life and, and our system of governance. And as a result, it has to get to the mentality of the people and break up the family unit and break down their faith to get them away from God. This is um, something I talked about in my Kingdom Cast episode a few nights ago, where I, I talked, it was literally what Stalin is one of Stalin's famous quotes, where he talks about how it is, uh, you know, you get them first to be into big segments and to fight amongst each other so they can be easier ruled. And then later we'll go in and we'll take God away from them. So this is, this is exactly what Dimron did with the tower of Babel and, and how we tricked the people there. It is one of the um, psychological operations of Babylon against a people group. So this is exactly what we're reading in the Exodus that the Egyptians were doing and with their animosity and their, uh, restrictions on the Hebrews to be able to worship and covenant as they needed to towards their God, right? So they're oppressing them and they're trying to take them away from their faith and their God. We're, this is where we just, we pray that the Father would, would safeguard our hearts, our lives, our faith, our families, just as we see he's done for people that are faithful all throughout the Bible and scripture, like he's doing for the faithful here. Um, with the Egyptians, he also does it for the faithful when Nebuchadnezzar invades in Second Kings, I think it's 23, and also the Pax of Baruch. Uh, there was a faithful remnant that was, yes, they went into, they had to move, they went into exile, but they were protected when they did. And that's something to keep in mind. So there will be, in my opinion, it, you may, we all may face times of discomfort, but the Father will protect us throughout if we're faithful. That's mm -hmm. That's his promise. So I hope to encourage you. Hey, thank you, Sean. That was great. Appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, brother. Hopefully it was helpful. Yes, sir. What's up, Hannibal? Did you have What's a question? Up? Yeah, I did. I actually have two. Um, one is pretty interesting. Um, I, met, I noticed in verse 22 uh, when he said that you should use hyssop to strike the, um, your doorpost. And I know that hyssop is used in many of the Levitical cleansing uh, rituals. And also like in Psalms 51 when he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Mm -hmm. And also the vinegar that was given to uh, Yahushua or Yeshua uh, was in hyssop. And I was wondering, is it just for symbology that Yah chose hyssop? Or is it some sort of like medic medical benefits, um, medicinal benefits to hyssop? That's the I, first I, question. Honestly, I'm not uh, uh, I'm not really up on the, the medicinal value of it. I've heard people tell me in the past that there is medicinal value to hyssop, specifically mm -hmm. as a cleaning agent or a detox. I just couldn't give you the stats on that or the links you know, to those studies. So it um, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, and I also had a question regarding Passover. So in Leviticus, when it brings up how to keep Passover in here in uh, chapter 12, when it says that no one that's uh, uncircumcised shall take part in the hyssop and mm -hmm. uh, in, in the Passover meal. Do you think that if you have the, the option, should you still for like remembrance sake, still strike your doorpost with blood? Or is that a part that was just for that one Passover time and now it's just partaking in the lamb and so on and so forth. Yeah, that, that was definitely within the context of the 
the you know the destroyer the death angel passing over their house in that moment so that's that's yep. not happening every year that was just in that moment so as we see the children of israel go into the land and continue to keep passover they didn't continue to put blood on the doorposts mm -hmm. uh, there was no threat of the death angel continuing that was just a, a plague against the egyptians uh but just it's like uh it, there's a lot of symbolism there yes but it's also like you know make sure that the death angel doesn't get confused and what chelsea's going to right mm -hmm. so this because you're just in they were they were literally in the vicinity of an incredibly um dangerous event mm -hmm. if i could put it like that so aside from the symbolism of the blood on the doorpost uh jesus is the, the doorway right is exactly. very interesting besides all that they're just in that vicinity we don't see the threat of the death angel in in future passovers in the scriptures mm -hmm. uh, we don't have the threat of that today and uh, that was a very contextual moment for that now with that said my wife and i we don't put blood over our doorpost but we just have like a, a piece of red ribbon or a piece of red cloth that we got and we actually pin that up over our door frame during passover okay. so we're like the only house on the street with that and so <laughs> yeah but that's just our personal like desire yeah, yeah. you know to do that Mm -hmm. um, another question from the previous part, but I couldn't connect. I was setting up everything as like the part in the wisdom of Psalm. I think it was the very last verse when it said that it was an image of the darkness that was waiting for them. Uh, yes. Is that like the darkness of the compartment of Sheol that they were? Exactly. Yeah. The darkness uh, of uh, not just the Sheol, uh, but you're right. The, the the unrighteous side of Sheol is darkness, but also the, the, the darkness of being extinguished forever at the lake of fire yeah. because you're not going to get eternal life. Yeah, so, that's. The fact that the darkness is like physical, you can feel it. It's really, yeah. And this, yeah. this is actually on my podcast on my other channel. This is something that I've 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 toyed with the idea of doing episodes on, um, you know, all the supposed videos of people having encounters with ghosts mm -hmm. and and unclean spirits and what the scriptures would call specters as well. Yeah. Um, what we're reading about wisdom of Solomon uh, pertaining to this this ninth plague here. It, because it is such a large thing in many countries around the world because they don't have the spirit of God because they're not following Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So they, they have, they're constantly being tormented by different types of unclean spirits. I know in the middle East, they refer to them as gins. Mm -hmm. And this is like a very popular thing. Like, and they, to the point where they're, they're making videos and upload them on TikTok and YouTube. Right. Because it's, yeah. they, they think it's entertaining or, you know, everyone likes to be scared for a moment, but this is such a constant thing in other countries that a lot of Americans uh, do not have a lot of experience with. Um, yes, there are some Americans that do, but as far as the that the percentages of people that encounter um, unclean spirits in some countries, it's very, very strong. It's a large percentage yeah. and they deal with it all the time. So I've considered covering that. I just have to find the right clips to make sure they're legitimate and I don't want to bring fear. So I, I've, I've delayed on, on covering that, but um but maybe in the future I'll do it again. But ultimately, like this is the thing that people have dealt with for thousands of years. This is because yeah. the spirits have been around, and so other countries deal with it all the time. And it is, uh, it's it, when I was younger in my life, I had something happen to me one time, and it it literally paralyzes you. Same it's, me. Same it's here. crazy. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, and and I remember it happened to me when I was young too, and I remember seeing. Um, before I was saved, like seeing Harry Potter, and I think it's one of the movies when they have like a Death Star, and it was exactly like that. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek things that they put in movies in Hollywood, and I was like, the, the person that designed that has has experienced that before, because that's pretty yeah. much how I would explain it. Yeah. Well, thank you for answering my questions. Okay. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you uh, calling in. Was that all your questions? 
all of my questions. Yeah. All right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate Hello. you. All right. Have a good day. Shalom. You too. All right, guys. We have a one more chapter to finish up here, and I didn't see any bigger questions in the chat, so we'll go on to the to the last chapter here. Um, this is going to be in chapter thirteen. Actually, no, I've got the companion passage to read uh, for chapter twelve. So, the, this is a kind of like a summary of what we just read from Exodus twelve, but it's Jubilees forty nine. It has some extra little details in there. I'll point them out as we go, and it's very insightful. So here in Jubilees 49, 1 through 3, it says, Remember the covenant which the Lord uh, commanded you concerning the Passover, that you should celebrate it in its season on the 14th of the first month. You should kill it before evening, that you should kill it before its evening, and they should eat it by night on the evening of the 15th from the time of the setting of the sun. And this is more detailed explanation of what we read in Exodus 12, just to let you know specifically when they considered the 15th to begin. So this is the beginning of the of the actual 15th, which is the start of the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover meal was what they ate in the moment it became dark on the very beginning of the day of the 15th. So this is, um, I've reviewed this in, a, in great detail. I'm just giving you the summary now, but I, if you're interested, I reviewed this in great detail um, about seven or eight months ago in a video I did. It says, when does the day begin? And we go, we use this verse and many other verses, and I break it down and make a chart and everything to try to clear up some of the confusion uh, about that. And I know there's still some people in the audience to disagree. Unfortunately, hopefully we can stay in fellowship and love and still disagree about that. But uh, Jubilees is very specific. It tells you specifically the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the beginning of the 15th is when they actually ate the Passover meal, when it became dark. And this was the start of the seven days. And this, if actually... If you, you can get the same information from Exodus 12, if you actually put on paper the actual days that are that are said, and you have to look very carefully at what it's saying, but you'll get the very same information. I do that for you in the video uh, that I mentioned. So uh, verse two says, for on this night, the beginning of the festival and the beginning of the joy, you were eating the Passover in Egypt when all the powers of Mestima have been let loose to slay all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive maidservant in the mill and to the cattle. And this is the sign which the Lord gave them. Into every house and the lentils of which they saw the blood of the lamb of the first year, into that house they should not enter to slay, but should pass it by. That all those should be saved that were in the house, because the sign of the blood was on its lentils. And the powers of the Lord did everything according as the Lord commanded them. And they passed by all the children of Israel, and the plague came not upon them to destroy from amongst them any soul, either of cattle or man or dog. And the plague was very serious in Egypt. There was no house in Egypt where there was not one dead and weeping and lamentation. And all Israel was eating the flesh of the Paschal lamb and drinking the wine and was lauding and blessing and giving thanks to the Lord God of their fathers and was ready to go forth from under the yoke of Egypt and from the evil bondage. And remember you this day, all the days of your life and observe it from year to year, all the days of your life, once a year on its day, according to all the law thereof, and do not adjourn it from day to day or from month to month. For it's an eternal ordinance, and it's engraved on the heavenly tablets regarding all the children of Israel that they should observe it every year on its day, once a year, throughout all their generations. There is no limit of days, for this is ordained forever. Guys, this is whether you understand, I don't know if you've seen this before or not, or if you understand why Jubilees keeps mentioning this, that these things that are instructed to Moses to explain to the children of Israel are engraved on the heavenly tablets. He's not talking about the ones that were given to Moses, those were earthly tablets, these are heavenly tablets. 
that are in heaven. This is the Bible in heaven. They keep Passover in heaven. Jubilees tells you they keep all the feasts in heaven. That's why they're given to Israel on the earth to keep. Do you guys know that the angels are a part of Israel? They're your brothers in Israel and the faith. Israel is the nationhood. We have the king of Israel, who's Yeshua and the Almighty Father. Angels are a part of that nationhood. They're actually a priest of that nationhood. So we're grafted into a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly nationhood, and this is what is given the moniker of Israel in Scripture. So it's not specifically a bloodborne genetic concept. That's why you can be grafted in from any family that you're born under on the earth. So this is this is a beautiful thing that Jubilees is trying to tell you that they keep these feasts in heaven. <laughs> so when you're celebrating the Sabbath weekly, when you're celebrating these feasts periodically, you're celebrating the same things that they're keeping in heaven. It's such a joy. It's such an honor. Verse 9 says, The man who is free from uncleanness and does not come to observe it on occasion of its day, so as to bring an acceptable offering before the Lord, and to eat and to drink before the Lord on the day of its festival, that man who is clean and close at hand shall be cut off, because he offered not the oblation of the Lord in its appointed season. He shall take the guilt upon himself. So what this is talking about is um, <clears throat> it goes on in in this chapter to explain that once the tabernacle of the Lord has been set up and you know it's the place where the Lord has decided to put his name, that means it's been ordained. This is what happened with the tabernacle tent of testimony and also the Solomon's temple. The, the spirit of the Lord, the angel of the presence ordained that place as the place where the, you know, the Lord presided it, if you will. And that once that's set up, then you're supposed to come and celebrate Passover every year. And then what it's saying is the man who's clean. So there could be natural circumstances that could make you unclean and you have to miss the first Passover. Maybe you celebrate second Passover. So you're not held guilt. There's no guilt upon you. If you, if you couldn't do that back in the day, all of it's within the context of the tabernacle that was ordained by God, not some man-made tabernacle by Zionists, but the actual tabernacle that was ordained by God and dedicated by the angel of the presence. That was the one that was established. That's not here right now. So this circumstance of context does not apply to us right now. We can still try to our best to keep um, some of the behaviors of Passover immemorial, but specifically we, we, we have no temple and no priesthood to take our sacrifice to which we would have to be clean in order to do that. So this is this is in, these are circumstantial contextual instructions for the Passover, just like we read Nexus 12. And I will hope people remember this and not take this too too far overboard. Remember the context of these passages. You had to have a standing temple that was ordained by God and that had a working legitimate priesthood that was ordained by the Father, right? That was dedicated by the Father. So we don't have any of those circumstances today. So what this is trying to say, though, is that some people would be too far and they couldn't celebrate Passover. So therefore, you you got a problem. I mean, it reminds me of, I think it's Acts chapter 18, where Paul is trying to come back from Asia Minor to celebrate Sukkot, uh, Shavuot, uh, the Feast of Weeks. So he's trying to get back quickly to celebrate it because he was too far away, right? Um, and so this, this is just the mindset of like, if there's a standing temple, if there's an ordained priesthood, which we're going to have when the new Jerusalem steps comes down and our high priest Yeshua is here. And uh, we're going to have an ordained priesthood and we're going to have a standing temple um, because this is where um, it, it's going to be, you know, literally an amazing moment. We're going to live inside the house already, but for all the, the people that are part of the millennial reign that have survived the day of the Lord, all the regular mortals that have not been given their resurrection bodies yet, 
who are still repopulating the earth throughout the millennial reign, they're going to be required to come to the new Jerusalem for feast days, specifically for Passover. And yes, they're going to, the males will have to be circumcised in order to eat of the Passover meal. So this is just the same law will apply when the circumstances are right again. Okay, verse 10 says, Let the children of Israel come and observe the Passover on the day of its fixed time, on the 14th day of the first month, between the evenings, from the third part of the day to the third part of the night. For two portions of the day are given to the light, and a third part of the evening. That This is that which the Lord commanded you, that you should observe it between the evenings. It's not permissible to slay it during any period of the light, but during the period bordering on the evening, let them eat it at the time of the evening until the third part of the night. Whatever is left of all of it is flesh from the third part of the night and onwards, let them burn with fire. And they should not cook it with water, nor shall they eat it raw, but roast on the fire. They shall eat it with diligence, its head with the inwards thereof, and its feet they shall roast with fire, nor break any bone thereof, for the children of Israel no bone should be broken. For this reason, the Lord command, commanded the children of Israel to observe the Passover on the day of its fixed time, and they shall not break a bone thereof, for it's a festival day, a day of command, a day commanded. There may be no pass, passing over from day to day or month to month, but on the day of its festival, let it be observed. And do you command the children of Israel to observe the Passover throughout their days, every year, once a year, on the day of its fixed time, and it shall come for memorial well-pleasing before the Lord. No plague shall come upon them to slay it or to smite it in that year in which they celebrate the Passover in its season, in every respect, according to his command. In every respect, according to his command. If you guys, if you, I don't have the, I didn't, I didn't make this a companion passage because I didn't want to make this too long. I mean, we're already at an hour long right now. Uh, we still have a few more uh, passages to read, but if you go and look in the days of uh, King Solomon, they had a big Passover and then they have another big Passover. I think it's during the days of Hezekiah. And it says supposedly like, you know, I think it's uh second Chronicles chapter 30 that this Passover, they hadn't had one like this um, since Solomon. Because if you remember the history of what happens between the days of Solomon to the days of Hezekiah, there was a lot of evil Kings. So they're not keeping what this verse says. They're not keeping um, the Passover in every respect, according to its command. So what was happening during that time? Well, Plagues were coming upon them, just like Leviticus 26 promised. If you turn from the behavior of the covenant, all these bad things are going to start happening to you. Instead of all the blessings coming upon you, all these cursings are going to come upon you. And that's exactly what this is talking about. It's not saying it's, you know, this again, this was in the context of them having a standing temple with, an, uh, with an, uh, a dedicated priesthood that was ready to serve, that was ordained by the Lord, both temple and priesthood. Uh, we don't have those circumstances right now. In fact, we're in a moment of, of a period of time of history that's been prophesied where we wouldn't have those circumstances until Yeshua returns. So this doesn't mean that you should expect to have plagues on you. It doesn't mean that at all. All right. That was under a specific circumstance. Um, verse 17. And every man who has come upon its day shall eat it in the sanctuary of your God before the Lord from 20 years old and upward. For thus it's written ordained that they should eat it in the sanctuary of the Lord. And when the children of Israel come into the land which they are to possess, into the land of Canaan, and set up the tabernacle of the Lord in the midst of the land of one of their tribes, and under the sanctuary of the Lord has been built in the land, let them come and celebrate the Passover in the midst of the tabernacle of the Lord. Let them slay it before the Lord from year to year. In the days when the house has been built in the name of the Lord in the land of their inheritance, they shall go there and slay the Passover in the evening at sunset at the third part of the day. And they shall offer its blood on the threshold of the altar and shall place its fat on the fire which is upon the altar, and they shall eat its flesh roasted with fire in the court of the house, which has been sanctified in the name of the Lord. This is all that context I was explaining. Verse 21 says, this is the last four, three verses. They may not celebrate the Passover in their cities, nor in any place save before the tabernacle of the Lord or before his house where his name has dwelt. 
Hard stop, guys. So a lot of people read this passage and they go, but wait, that means we can't celebrate Passover now because we're not in the place where the tabernacle of the Lord is. Like I said, this. if you took that hard route, if you took that out of context uh, way of thinking, then you're suddenly negating what Jubilee's already said and Exodus has just explained that the children of Israel kept Passover in Egypt where there was no tabernacle of the Lord. See what I'm saying? In fact, we're going to read here in verse 23 how they didn't even get to finish it in Egypt. And they finished it on the on the, the wilderness in the wilderness of Shur after they crossed the Red Sea. They finished it later. So that because remember, it's a seven-day feast. So they didn't get to celebrate it properly in the proper context that the father wanted anyway. They didn't have a tabernacle set up anyway. They hadn't even received the instructions on how to build the tabernacle yet. That's what the that's some of the things that happened on Mount Sinai. So this is this we just have to keep things in context guys this is kingdom in context this is this is what we talk about all the time we try to encourage people this will keep you out of trouble this will keep you out of confusion when it comes to, to studying scripture if you just keep it in the context of what's being described within the passage which which requires us to actually read it diligently take some notes sometimes make sure we're, we're keeping things in its context um so this is I'll, I'll keep reading it here and we'll finish up this part this Companion passage. Verse 22 says, And do you, Moses, command the children of Israel to observe the ordinance of the Passover as it was commanded to you, but declare to them every year and the day of its day, the festivals of the, the festival unleavened bread, that they should eat unleavened bread seven days, and they should observe it at its festival, and that they bring an oblation every day during the seven days of joy before the Lord on the altar of your God. For you celebrated this festival with haste when you went forth from Egypt till you entered into the wilderness of Shur, for on the shore of the sea you completed it. It's fascinating. Fascinating, guys. So let's jump into Exodus 13. And this is our last few uh, verses here for the main portion. Okay. So here in Exodus 13, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel, among people and animals alike. It belongs to me. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you departed from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and nothing with yeast shall be eaten. On this day, in the month of Abib, you are to, about to go out from here, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall perform this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days. Nothing with yeast shall be seen among you, nor shall any dough with yeast be seen among you in all your borders. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of the, what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Now, when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord every firstborn of a womb and every firstborn offspring of an animal that you own. The male belongs to the Lord, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck and every firstborn among your sons you shall redeem. It shall be when your sons ask you in time to come saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord put to death every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human firstborn to animal firstborns. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, every firstborn of a womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall be, show itself, excuse me, so it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead 
For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. All right. And then I have some companion passages here to go into. Um, so essentially, he's, he's talking about the redemption of, the, of, of man, but then the sacrifice of animals. The big distinction there. All of it's about the symbolism of uh, them being spared through the Passover, which is exactly what happens to us. As uh, when Yeshua returns, we're spared. We're the, the wrath of the Lamb is passed over us, and um, that wrath goes towards the the beasts. Literally, the beast and his and everyone who follows him who acts with beastly behavior, um, and they are uh, they're destroyed, just like the firstborns of the Egyptians. So it's a lot of symbolism there with the day of the Lord. Zephaniah two is going to give us a little bit more symbolism. It says here at eight through eleven. I've heard the reveling of Moab and the insults of the children of Ammon, wherewith they've reviled my people and magnified themselves against my coasts. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab, shall be as Sodom, the children of Ammon will be as Gomorrah, and Damascus shall be left as a heap of the threshing floor and desolate forever. And the remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my nations shall inherit them. As I just want to give you a quick, this is talking about the return of the Messiah, this is talking about the second coming. This is talking about what's um, the, the massive battles and uh, things that happen on the day of the Lord when Yeshua returns. And these particular parts that are around Israel are going to are going to receive uh, everlasting punishment. And um, there's there's going to be a lot of transition here. We do not see the descriptions of this with these particular geographical areas, which would be like um, Syria and parts of Mesopotamia and Saudi Arabia. This is not. This is not happening yet. This this will happen when the Lord returns. It says, verse 10, This is their punishment in return for their haughtiness, because they've reproached and magnified themselves against the Lord Almighty. The Lord shall appear against them and shall utterly destroy all the gods of the nations of the earth, and they shall worship him, everyone from his place, even all the islands of the nations. How beautiful is that? They, The Lord shall appear against them and shall utterly destroy all the gods of the nations of the earth only happens at the days Yeshua returns. So this is actually, by the way, this is uh, from the Septuagint uh, translation. I forgot to make that notation. But this is a beautiful, beautiful end of end of days, day of the Lord prophecy about the return of the Messiah, that all the gods of all the nations of the earth will be judged, just like we're seeing all the gods of Egypt are being judged in this, in this moment of Exodus. Revelation 16. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and men began to gnaw their tongues in anguish, and cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, yet they did not repent of their deeds. Now, the pains and the sores came from the from the first angel who poured out the first bowl of wrath, but this when we get down to the fifth angel, now it says the whole kingdom of the beast is plunged into darkness. Now, there's, there's a twofold meaning, and I just want to be very clear about this. There's a twofold meaning about this idea of darkness. So this is why I complimented earlier with the Wisdom of Solomon 17 passage to explain the darkness that was the Egyptians were feeling and, and, and experiencing. That it was emotional torment, it was physical torment, it was spiritual torment. So it was, and they were paralyzed in fear. Other places in Scripture refer to someone that who is without wisdom, they're without the law, the light of God, they're without the light of the Torah, that they're in darkness, that they're walking in darkness, they're living in darkness, they're, you know, they're experiencing darkness in their life. 
I personally believe this this uh, particular bull wrath that's being poured out is similar to Egypt, and it's talking about having lawlessness. What you're not, you're in the darkness of not walking in the Torah as well, because this is what's happening with the the beast. He's the man of lawlessness. He's producing lawlessness. He's producing darkness over all the kingdom that he that he acquires during the 42 months that he goes out to make war against the world and persecute the saints. But specifically, I think in this particular moment where this where this bowl is put, excuse me, where this bowl is being poured out, which is right before we get to the return of Messiah, that they're also going to be plunged into a similar type of darkness, a paralyzing fear that we see um, the Egyptians go through because there's also specters running around the earth like crazy during this time because of what's let out of the pit uh, with Apollyon. Um, so, I, and this is also something similar you see in the mentality of the armies that gather at Armageddon to fight against Yeshua's return, where it says that they start to be stricken and panicked with fear and then turn at each other. And so I think that it's, I think there's a mixture of things going on. Also, uh, we just read from Zephaniah 2 that talks about Day of the Lord Judgment in Zephaniah 1. It talks about it's a day of thick clouds and darkness and gloom. So, yes, the sun is ashamed. Uh, the moon is uh, diminished in light. Uh, it's turned red. Um, the stars are falling to the ground. There's, well, that's actually when the firmament opens up. But there's a, there's the earth itself is being thrown into darkness. But there's also a spiritual darkness that happens on the kingdom of the beast. So, this is, he's basically getting everything the Egyptians got plus more. Um, because they're about to be slaughtered by the angels and Yeshua when they return, and um, they're not going to be ready for what hits them. They're not going to. They're not going to have a clue what hits them, and so it's very interesting. In fact, it even says in Zephaniah one that um, the J Jerusalem will be searched with lamps, um, and I think that's the angels that are actually going door to door and they're kicking everyone out. This is the fulfillment of Matthew 13, 49 to 51, uh, where the, the, the angels go out to separate the wheat from the tares, literally separate. And that word in the Greek, that word for separate means to cordon off, to remove, to separate them in a capacity, not, not just to determine who's good and who's bad, but to physically set because they're, they're getting everyone that's still re, uh, refusing to leave the, the zone where the new Jerusalem is going to set down. They're pulling them out one by one if they have to there's going to be you know millions of angels so they're pulling them out one within this 1500 square miles going to go through they're going to pull everybody out then they're going to raise the land burn it with fire um so that it can be a proper clean sanctified purified foundation for the new jerusalem to set down so there, there's a lot to it um I've, I've done many, many videos on the day of the Lord, and all the events that happen leading up to the return of Christ and the descension of the new Jerusalem. And this is just one of them that has a parallel to the, to the days of the Exodus and the plagues therein, uh, as the kingdom of the beast is going to be suffering these plagues as well. Just like we talked about last week with the two witnesses of Revelation 11, who are on the earth the same time as the, in the same 42 months as the beast, and they can strike any nation with any plague they choose at any time. So all these plagues that we've seen, um, in Egypt and, and plagues we see in other places in scripture, like they can, they can do whatever they want at any time. This is why the, you know, after the days of their testimony, which means the days of them being protected for their testimony, once that's completed, the beast kills the two witnesses. Um, and then they take part in the resurrection, the first resurrection three days later. So, um, so the point is there, the, the beast is, is in, in the kingdom of the antichrist is, is complete futility. I know a lot of people like to glorify how, uh, you know, 
powerful or fearsome he may be, but I just want to encourage you guys, if you really put together the pieces and you look at what the father's doing against the beast during these days, he's running around. He does accomplish some bad things. Yes. But there are people that fight against him. The Lord's fighting against him. The witness that your witnesses are fighting against him. Um, you know, the father is not silent during this time. And this is this is something I hope to encourage people with to understand when it comes to this this end time concept. The plagues are set up not for for the righteous. Now, unfortunately, you may be in a nation that is going through some rough times, and there there will be you know plagues and, and different things, but they're meant for the for the unrighteous. And unfortunately, the part of the tribulation of the saints that requires our patience, according to Revelation fourteen, is just that we are going to have to to be around while this is happening, but. Our redemption draws nigh. The Messiah is coming back. The first resurrection is going to happen. You'll be vindicated and glorified to the point where you're resurrected from the dead, given eternal life. You're going to stand witness to the beast being thrown in the lake of fire and the false prophet and all the people being judged uh, that formerly persecuted the saints and the righteous, the kings of the earth. You're going to stand witness to that, according to the book of Enoch, um, that you actually see them being judged at the sheep and goat judgments where Yeshua pronounces judgment on them. So you'll be vindicated by by the Father and the Son in the sight of the enemy in your resurrected body. I mean, it, you know, it's it's kind of a crude analogy, but think of Star Wars: The New Hope. You know, or Darth Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi are fighting, and Obi Wan Kenobi says, "If you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine." Well, Darth Vader strikes him down like a like a like a fool. <laughs> See what I mean? So that because that's what the enemy does. They don't have the faith that you have. They don't under. They don't. Have, they don't walk in the promises that you walk in. They don't serve the God that you serve. They don't have a clue. They just think that they're getting rid of a nuisance because they're deceived in their mind, right? They've viewed you as an enemy, and they think they're getting rid of the enemy that's stopping them from whatever crazy goals that they have, like transhumanism or like a one-world government or whatever nonsense, right? One-world vaccinated, right? So all this nonsense. So. This is where deception comes in. The enemies trick these people to believe this. So when they don't understand that the saints that they're going to persecute are later going to stand in judgment over them if they've survived the day of the Lord. So it's a it's a unique a unique story. It's it's the most unique story in the whole world that we're reading this gospel of the kingdom is what I've been describing to you. And it and this is what these parallels that we're seeing happening there in the days of the Exodus that we see happening at the end of days when Yeshua returns. It's a it's a unique story that no other no other faith shares this story. No other faith. It's wholly unique in all the world. It is our blessed hope. It is our promise of redemption. It is our promise of our Savior uh, to come back and set the world right to bring peace on the earth. So. Guys, if you have any uh, quick questions, you're welcome to put them in the chat or you're welcome to call in. Just use the call-in link that's in the video description below. Um, or if you want to put it in the, if you want to see it, just put it in the live chat again. If you want to call in and ask any questions real quick before we end the broadcast. I'm going to scroll through the live chat to see if I missed any questions. Uh, Estevan Pardon is asking, how early do the saints get killed in the timeline? Well, saints are currently being persecuted forever. I mean, they've always been persecuted. And right now, today, in multiple countries, saints are still being persecuted. But if you're speaking specifically about when the, the, the Antichrist shows up, which is the beast of Revelation, uh, it's a 42-month time period leading up to the, the 
the um, reign of Messiah. So, in my opinion, he's part of the 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 you know the the horse uh, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that goes out to to make war against the nations. That's the beast, in my opinion. Um, and this is where Revelation thirteen seven through ten says he's given authority to to make war against the saints and overcome them. So that's what he goes out to do. This is why he's he's under the authority of the dragon. And then just a chapter earlier in Revelation 12, 17, the dragon makes war against uh, you know the children of the woman, the children of the New Jerusalem, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. So it's you know, you got the the beast um, and the dragon have the same purpose, which is to to make war against the saints. They're already doing it. It's already happening all over the world, but specifically within this 42 month time period, um, they're going to start that that worldwide campaign as well. Where it, they'll ramp up their efforts, if you will. Uh, Jim Newport is asking, how does the symbolism of only roasting the lamb by fire point to Christ? Like his bones not being broken? Um, yeah, the, the breaking of the bones uh, can be a wonderful analogy. I mean, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul refers to Yeshua as our Passover lamb. It's, it's a wonderful fitting analogy because he, um, because of his sacrifice uh, of his life to, to get to his priesthood, right? That he had to go through the cross to be resurrected, to get to his priesthood, to make atonement for us before the father that, um, that yes, none of his bones were broken when he went to the cross that was prophesied of him in Isaiah 53. And there, there is a lot of symbolism there as well. Um, as far as, but the, but the roasting of the lamb um, is that's why I was saying this kind of a, there's different ways to look at this as far as what type of symbolism we're looking at. Obviously, Yeshua was not burned with fire, uh, nor will he ever be. But, um, I mean, even in Psalm 16.10, it says, before his flesh decayed, you know, his he, he's the Lord saved his Holy One. So that's why he was, before his his wrapped flesh in the tomb was decayed, he was trans, he was uh, given his glorified body. But, yes, his, his bones were not broken, but he's not roasted by fire. What is roasted with fire on the day of the Lord is the slaughter is the Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, revelation 16, uh, revelation 18 and 19. It is uh second uh, the apocalypse of Baruch chapter 13. It is, um, the day of the Lord, the, these, the great slaughter that's been gathered in the Valley of Armageddon, um, which is the father destroys them all with fire. That's also in Zechariah 14. So that, that to me would point to that symbolism because that is the day of the great Passover, the saints, the wrath of the Lamb that's coming down. The saints are taken by angels to the New Jerusalem. This is what First First Thessalonians four, thirteen through seventeen talks about. How we see Him in the air; it is coming. We're being taken away by the angels, as Isaiah twenty six nineteen through twenty one says, to our rooms to be to be avoid the indignation of the Lord. The wrath of the Lamb is coming down, showing His warrior angels to battle the battle of Armageddon. We're being safely taken away by the angels in Matthew thirteen thirty that have been sent out to receive the saints of the resurrection, take us away to our rooms in the New Jerusalem to be stored away. Um, from the wrath of the lamb. And that wrath comes down with fire on the Valley of Armageddon and roasts everything that's there. So that's, to me, that's what the symbolism of the roasting would be during the, the big fulfillment of Passover. Um, JJBN82 asks, do you think Solomon ever repented before his death? I, I only pray he did. I haven't, I haven't seen a text that says that. Um, so unfortunately, I don't know, brother. I pray that he did. 
Uh, Jasmine W. is saying they worship the lamb. The Egyptians worship the lamb as one of their gods, which was why it would be an abomination to the Egyptians, to my understanding. Uh, uh, yeah, one of the lambs is one of their um, one of their gods for sure. Yep. So they wouldn't want to do that. They wouldn't want to keep Passover um, in the land of Egypt. This is why they talked Moses talked about earlier. He says we'll get stoned by the Egyptians if we do this here. So uh, Joy Trujillo is asking, can Sean, can you explain if that physical circumcision is to be done even to an older man? Thank you. Years. Uh, well, yeah, we see Mo, um, Abraham was 99 years old. How old do we want to go? <laughs> Abraham was 99 years old. So he got circumcised. And guys, I don't want to get into a big debate in the comments about you know what, what circumcision is defined as. A lot of people do not agree with modern circumcision. They think that it takes too much um, of the skin. That that ancient circumcision just took a small amount. But you know, whatever the dividing line is, I've never seen any text explain it. I really don't want to get into a big argument about that. The point is something gets cut and there and it's noticeable. Okay. So that's this is the point where um it, this, this is a requirement, you know, uh, we see people, can, it's a sign of the covenant, but it doesn't mean you're in covenant. Excuse me. It doesn't mean that it's not your entryway into covenant, but it is a sign that you're already in covenant. This is just like Abraham already in covenant for decades. And then the father says, here's the sign of my covenant. And I'd ask you to keep it and all your household with you, all the males in your household. So he does it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I believe it still applies. Um, I think at the resurrection, all the males at the resurrection will be resurrected with it already done, just like the angels. It was already done to them at their when they were given their glorified bodies on day one of creation, as Jubilees fifteen twenty seven explains. Um, Sean M is asking about my opinion on the uh, the Keber Nagast. Uh, that is, it's a Gnostic work from approximately the fourth century A.D. Um, I think that it's it's from what I've read of it. It's very much a Gnostic work, and it's not. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't line up with Scripture, so I would not suggest it personally. All right, guys, let's take a couple more questions before we end today. Hopefully, this has been a a good tour portion for you. I think I missed some questions earlier up. All right. Wendy Russell is asking, can you invite an uncircumcised Christian to a Passover meal, seeing that they, that you are not actually keeping the requirements as there is no tabernacle now? Can you invite an uncircumcised Christian to a Passover meal? Uh, that would be firstly, I would say no, um, that, you know, that's you're supposed to be circumcised again. You're not, you're not doing this under all the correct circumstances, but if you're trying to keep it as a memorial, you're trying to keep the things, the instructions within this memorial that apply to you. Well then, yeah, I would suggest the person be circumcised before they partake in what you're calling a Passover meal. So if you've made a meal specifically dedicated as a memorial to Passover, yes, you're not taking it to a temple. It's not being prepared by a priest. It wasn't an animal you brought forward. You didn't come forward clean. You didn't, you know, it's not in an ordained temple by an ordained priesthood. I understand all that circumstance we talked about. But if you're trying to keep it memorial and you've dedicated this specific meal to be the Passover, and you're trying to keep as much of it as you can, in my opinion, you know, maybe don't celebrate that specific moment of the Passover meal uh, with someone who's uncircumcised. That's, I guess, is what I would say. 
because we're just doing the best we can to keep as much as we can anyway at this point while we're in the dispersion. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you. You're not also, I just want to say like, you don't want to treat like, you don't want to treat anyone different, right? Um, I have believing friends that are not circumcised. It wasn't done to them when they were babies and they're still coming to a decision of whether they want to do it as an adult. So I don't treat them any differently, you know? So it's just uh, something you might want to definitely deal with, with love if, because you don't want to ruin your witness. And by the way, I, I know a lot of people don't agree with this, but if, if you literally look up the definition, we're, we're all Christians. We're all followers of Christ. That word just means uh, Christianos is just a follower of Christ. I, I know there's a lot of people that really struggle with that because of some, some really bad teachings that came out in the past couple of years. But um, if you're a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, whom in the Greek language, uh, was trans translated over as the Messiah, as the anointed one to be in the Christianos, um, then the followers of Christ of Christianos will be called Christians. And this is not, you know, I, if, if you don't like calling yourself that, that's fine. Just try not to let it become a point of contention with a fellow believer. And that's the commonality I hope to, to, to bring out. It's a fellow believer, whether they understand the deeper things of the scriptures and are, are have been studying as much as you have, you know, that's neither here nor there. If they're still a fellow believer, we're going to treat them with love, treat them, you know, in their their level of understanding where they're at. They still have faith in God and his son, and they believe in their, their resurrection. They believe in the faith. They're there. They just need to be taught better. So we, we don't want to discourage these people from interacting with us uh, because they maybe haven't come to the understanding that the Torah is applicable to them, right? Because they sat under some bad teaching when they came into the faith. So this is where it takes our patience to reach out to them in love and not and not disparage them with terms that might make them feel ostracized or segregated into some sect that you're not a part of. You don't want them to think that of you either because you're both believers in the body of Messiah. So this is the unity that we, we, we strive so much in this channel to remind people of this is they're the most fertile people to understand the fullness of God's instructions than the unbeliever because they already have faith. They just need to have better teaching. That's all it boils down to. So, um, great question. Great question. Hopefully it works out for you in your, in your fellowship with those people. Um, Jim Newport, as far as I understand, communion is, uh, is not something that's, that's a Catholic invention. So it's always been the Passover. Um, but you know, communion is again, that's a, that's an idea that was, imposed onto the text from a Catholic standpoint, just like they did with Luke 24 and Matthew 26. Um, it's always been Passover and it's only for believers to keep. And specifically if you're male, specifically for a circumcised believer. So, you know, it's one of those deals. I would, you know, just, I would research communion and Catholicism because that's not, that's not uh, covenant behavior of Passover. Sorry, guys, my dogs are going crazy. All right, real quick. Um, Estevan, you're asking about a playlist for all the instructions. No, brother, unfortunately, you know, that, that's uh, kind of a daunting task. You're asking me to, um, I mean, I try to do that with my tour apologetics with all my videos. We always talk about the instructions of God. Um, there's no specific playlist. I mean, the, you're watching a video where we're going through the Torah 
and reviewing all the instructions and I'm trying to keep them in context and explain them as we go. So we have two full seasons. Uh, well, it's, it's one season, but season two was kind of like remastered um, of kingdom, uh, the kingdom portions. So if you want to check out that playlist, my wife and I did that um, a couple of years, two years ago, we went over kingdom portions and that is uh, very similar to, to what I'm doing here with, with the Torah portions where we review Genesis to Deuteronomy um, systematically over the course of a year. And then we find comparison verses and we try to talk and explain stuff. But we actually, the kingdom portions has more of a slant of like the gospel, of the kingdom of God and how it relates to Torah. Whereas this, this series, what you're watching right now is Torah portions. And I'm just basically going through the Torah and trying to, and this is a part of our Torah apologetics series. So I'm trying to just explain the actual applicable instructions to believers that we see through the scriptures. So, um, hopefully that, unfortunately what you're asking for it's i mean there's there's no single video that i mean that would be a seven hour video and then and then how much people would retain i don't know so we try to chop it up over a series of, of teachings all right guys i'll take one last question i'm gonna take off um i don't see a question though so maybe maybe we're done you guys are awesome thanks for being here Thanks for, um, <laughs> yes, Big Red G, God, God wins. Absolutely. Father and son will win at the end of time, at the end of the story. That's the whole idea. And for, for all the people that, that would say like, oh, well, that sounds like a very trite thing that anybody would say, right? How do you, how can you prove to me that he is going to win? That you just have to believe in faith. I'm like, well, all the, all the wickedness that you're seeing right now around the world today has been prophesied by the father and son that would happen. So like all of it is validating the rest of the story where they show up and finally create peace on the earth at the appointed time at the right time. So it's just, it's, you know, it's again, it's one of those atheistic arguments that's kind of self-defeating because they, they, they want to point out the evil, but they don't want to point out the evil was already prophesied by the good guys who are going to come and stop the evil at an appointed time. Uh, which is requires us to have faith that they will come and stop it at the point of time. But meanwhile, the whole story is being validated 100% every day by the evil that's readily acknowledged by everyone on the earth. So it's <laughs> it's kind of a hilariously um, incongruent argument from atheists. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Um, be sure to join us tomorrow on Ken's channel on Hanging on His Words. We're finishing up um, Testament of Job. Or excuse me, we're fin up, finishing up the Book of Job. And uh, we're actually been comparing the Masoretic text and the Septuagint text. And we're going to finish that up tomorrow. It's going to be a fascinating episode. Make sure you, you don't miss it. Go subscribe to Ken Heidelberg's channel. It's called Hanging on His Words. And in fact, if you like the intro music to Torah Apologetics, that's actually Ken's music. I don't know if you guys realize that or not. So I put the video link, I put the, the link to his music um, in the video description below. So if you if you enjoy the, the, the music, uh, go check that out. Okay. Appreciate you guys. I hope everyone has a good Shabbat and get some rest. We'll see you next time.